0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where we're trying to help the HVAC and building performance technicians get better informed, better understand each other, better work together, With the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. A lot of times we need tools. Hey, I'm in the tool business, True Tech Tools, but a lot of different tools, including calculational tools. To get the job done efficiently, correctly, satisfying, not making work a drag, making customers happy, making your boss happy, whatever it takes. Let me take you back to a long, long time ago when Jim Bergman did not understand everything in HVAC. Can you believe that? There was that time. I say that with sort of a snarky tone, but this is for real. Listen in as we delve into the story of Jim Bergman and how the communities of HVAC and more recently Building Science helped to encourage and challenge Jim to become the HVAC guru that we know today. It was really through the experiences he had, the challenges he had, not being satisfied with the status quo. That comes up so many times in these podcasts. So many people that are building and doing things are not satisfied with the status quo, are not satisfied with the standard answer. They really need to know what's happening underneath it all. Jim was forced to learn the fundamentals in order to make the math and science work. From his self-described times of annoying the crap out of me to his overlapping experiences as contractor, educator, product specialist, True Tech Tools founder, iManifold designer, and measure quick master. Jim has had, no, no, he's not had, he has created a unique career ladder to find his reason for being. I think he's arrived. We get into a couple of MeasureQuick topics in this episode, including the new guided workflows that are coming shortly. This is recorded in July of 2023. And we also get into the topic of data quality and data integrity that drove the need for paid tests in MeasureQuick. Now here's a cool quote from the episode, don't service the mistakes you sell. We also finish up with some forward-looking advice Jim gives to contractors and equipment and tool manufacturers on what they should be looking out for. I mentioned a few links in the podcast. They're buried there in the show notes. Not buried, it's short show notes, but they're in the show notes. The Measure Quick website, Jim's LinkedIn profile. And we also talk about Building Science Summer Camp, Building Science in general, where Jim's picking up a lot of new knowledge and connections. And we talk about, I mentioned the Building Science Boogie Band. I include the YouTube channel link for the Building Science Boogie Band. Really, it's a fun group of people to get together. Just take a look at that link, the YouTube link. Also, I give a link to Waffle's Twitter account, but I'm going to call shame on Waffle's. He hasn't been posting lately. In any case, please listen in as we talk to Jim Bergman about how he was forced to learn the fundamentals in order to make the math and science work. How are you on a Friday afternoon, Jim Bergman? Good, good. Good. I should have thought of this beforehand, but how many Friday afternoons
1: have I known you? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. A handful. 16s 18 years or so anyway. Times 52. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But we don't meet on Friday afternoons anymore. We used to meet a lot. I've been doing this podcast since 2017, since Brian recommended I start it. And I don't think I've ever had you on as a guest, which I think is a crime. It's a little bit of a crime here. So we're going to fix that now. In you're on a lot of podcasts. You're on a lot of video streams. You do a lot of presentations. Is there anything you want to say about your background? Like how you started out drinking cold coffee from a
1: styrofoam cup? That was a drug that got you into this. <laughs> right there. Yeah, still have the cold coffee on my table right now and drinking it. Gosh, I've been doing this since I was literally old enough to walk. and My dad was dragging me along to jobs. So, I mean, it was riding in a truck, drinking cold coffee on Saturdays because that's what We had to drink in the truck because that's what dad had left over. And so it's just grew up in the industry and grew up drinking cold coffee. So I think that's how I got where I'm at today. (laughs) So
0: he didn't want to dehydrate you totally. No, no. And I guess
1: probably back then it
0: would have been considered like slave labor.
1: With my mom being sick and stuff, it was interesting because dad just, he did what he had to do. So whenever he had something available... And my sister and I would hop in a truck and go. A lot of times it was just me eventually because my mom and sister started playing music. But I pretty much grew up around this industry. My dad did large commercial stuff. But then he did like residential work on the side for a lot of years. So I've pretty much had an opportunity to see and work on everything. I obviously followed my dad's footsteps and went in the same business. But You mentioned music. I know that and I know your dad
0: used to make hammer dulcimers. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yep.
0: Do you talk about that a lot? Is there any crossover influence? Because music is a little bit about science. It's a lot about quality. It's a lot about skill and practice. And that totally overlays
1: with HVAC. Oh, yeah. Interestingly enough, a lot of the best people I know in that business are probably musicians. I just hung it up because I found HVAC more interesting. So I just was my new music. I think there's a lot of overlap there, a lot of similar skill. a lot of being able to see how things relate and see relationships and listen to things. You have to have a really acute sense of hearing and there's a lot of good overlay. I mean, every year we go to the building science summer camp and look at that group. It's amazing how many musicians are in that group of people and people you'd never guess that were musicians until you start putting together all the pieces. Actually, that reminds me, they actually have a YouTube channel.
0: There's not a lot of traffic on it. I've talked to Eric Whirling. I mean, surprise, right? But the Building Science Boogie Brand, something like that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes here because I found it. And they did a lot of work during COVID because they couldn't get together. And so they did some of those coordinated joint streams with music during COVID. I'll do that too. So cool. In your words, I explained like, how I met you, how we got started at Testo. And I consider some of the transformational things, but I'd like to hear your
1: story about how you got started into your current career arc. It goes, I think it's fundamentally the same reason you haven't had me in this podcast since you started it, because I annoyed the crap out of you <laughs> for a long time until you hired me on. So It was just really understanding. It really goes back to, I never learned the fundamentals when I was doing this for a living. I didn't realize how much I didn't know until I started teaching it. And so what was happening was all of a sudden I was looking at all the math and the science behind what I was doing. And then trying to make that math and science work in the lab. And it just wasn't working. And it really led me down a rabbit hole with, well, why don't these things work? And one of my students was asking me about at that time if we can do this with this formula, could we rearrange it and make a different calculation. I'm like, yeah, sure. So we're out there trying this all out, and none of it's working. And I told him, I said, some of the stuff really isn't even possible unless you're in a lab. And he goes, oh, we are in a lab. And I'm like, well, thinking, oh, it's not the same kind of lab. But then I'm thinking, well, yeah, it is sort because we have very, very constant conditions all day long. I'm in a Twenty-five thousand square foot lab. Yeah, I'm kicking on an air conditioner too, but it's not changing the temperature in that lab. I'm discharging heat the same place I'm absorbing it. My humidity slow to change, my temperature slow to change. I should be able to make these calculations, and yet I couldn't. And then I really came down to like airflow. And then I started getting out some Dwyer slide calculators, and I figured out air density. That must be the problem because my air density is not the right. And I was using a .075 standard air. And then I found out the temperature and humidity and barometric pressure affect air density. And it was just like down this rabbit hole of trying to get the science to work. I can't remember the year exactly, but met John Feigen at at the Famous Expo. And I bought, uh, I don't know, maybe a dozen thermometers and a dozen Testo. Humidity sticks, wasn't it? Humidity sticks. And the humidity sticks really changed my whole career, changed the trajectory of it, because all of a sudden the math and the science started to work. A big part of it was a sensor technology because we're using K type thermocouples and wet socks and the one we with the capacitive humidity and the repeatability was very high and the accuracy was decent. But the big thing was repeatability. And especially when I wanted to make measurements and supply and return look at the differential, the precision of the instruments is really important. More than the accuracy is I was able to, because I can repeat the same thing over and over again and get consistent results. And then all of a sudden the math started to work. And then obviously after that, the 416 mini vein and learning how to measure airflow with a vein anemometer and being able to get that process down and repeat it. And a lot of studying, a lot of research, a lot of testing on the same equipment over and over and over again, which is very beneficial because I got to see it on the same duct system with the same condenser and the same conditions over a wide variety of ambient conditions because the humidity would change throughout the year. So it was just literally a lot of passion, a lot of perseverance, a lot of tenacity that got me to where I'm at today because I was trying to, at some point, prove that, yeah, this could be done. And we did it. And I think the next big step was when we designed the I-Manifold was doing everything in real time. Where we were bringing in all the readings and seeing the changes happen instantaneously and adjusting the targets instantaneously, which is the same thing we're doing today in, in a Measure Quick application, and being able to do all that math and make all those corrections simultaneously, and then being able to do the air density corrections, do the elevation corrections—it just take all those variables into accounts. I keep going deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole of trying to get a more and more perfect measurement.
0: We're going to throw down an oxygen tube for you because you're so deep in that revital. But there's one little step in there after the Testo probes with the precision and the sensors. Remember the 435? That was a a multi-wired and sort of wireless probes, but they brought together, concatenated all the data in real time, but in
1: a device. That was one of the steps there. The only disappointing part of any of that was that Testo always thought wireless meant eliminating the wire and eliminating the three foot cord. And it never grasped the fact, even up to when field piece came out with a longer range wireless probes that technicians or contractors would want to make four or 500 feet away from where they're standing. It was just such a foreign concept at that time. You got to realize, too, I mean, we're talking, we pioneered a lot of these ideas and concepts, but more from an application standpoint. Then maybe development. But I think at the time, a lot of this was just, I remember one of the engineers was talking to tell me, nobody will ever want to do what you're proposing. It's <laughs> <laughs> just crazy talk. And that's sometimes the mentality you're fighting because we're doing things today that people, I think, really thought were technically not feasible to do. As I think about it, I just started
0: right down here. Like sometimes you see like a project with Overlapping streams of steps in the project. And I was thinking about your career has overlapping streams where you've moved from Cuyahoga Valley Career Center to Testo to True Tech to iManifold to MeasureQuick. And there's been, and maybe it's the other way around, it's like a staircase going up.
1: Well, and some of it was I was doing all that stuff on the same step. I worked for Testo. Well, first, I worked for the Career Center. That summer that I started working with the Career Center, I went to work for Testo. And quit my contracting job because I was a full-time contractor at that point. And then turned around and, I don't know, maybe four or five years later, we started TrueTech Tools. So I was working at the Career Center, helping populate all the products on TrueTech, even though I never really worked for it. It's pretty funny if you think about it, that I owned the majority of True Tech at one time, but never worked for the company, like at a full-time capacity. Then I turned around and did iManifold at the same time. At times I had three or four jobs going, but all of it overlapped and all of it it worked together to take me down that journey. Because I don't think if I wouldn't have had access to some of the people and some of the equipment and the opportunity to teach, that changed my whole career. Because I feel like when I teach or explain something, I understand it better.
0: And sometimes like a light bulb goes off that, oh, I never thought of it that way before
1: until I had to explain it to someone. You remember when we first met, I would have an idea and I'd have to just stop whatever we're doing and write a magazine article on it Yeah, <laughs> Right. because it was just getting the whole idea developed and out and written down so I could process a complete, I don't know how many times we did that, but it was far more than once. So go back to some of the early bulletin boards, like HVAC Talk and HVAC ProTech. Oh yeah. HVAC ProTech. ProTech was probably one of the best groups Because it had a lot of people that could really articulate, well, the math, the science, the how-to. And it was definitely a group that sparred, but not in a negative way. It was like it pushed each other a little bit. There's always a little bit of rub here and there. I mean, it was Doug Lockhart and I went to Lockhorns periodically, but that was just different personalities in the room. That's
0: the Tony Berlin one, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, Tony Berlin, Yeah. And it was interesting times. That's where iManifold was birthed from. Back when we were at in that group years ago, I put a post up. I had actually, Tony put it up before he died on if you could design the perfect digital gauge set, what would it look like? And if you go back, if you, that post is no longer even available, but I downloaded it before I developed the iManifold and literally took everybody's stuff they put down and built it step by step. I want to say I remember that it was like 140 to
0: 150. Line items were in that.
1: Yeah. But a lot of people like Zigbee wasn't my idea. Somebody else had said, okay, yeah, make it Zigbee. Here's why with the mesh networking. And where we came in was user interface, designing the gauges, designing a lot of the math, the calculations, the estimated airflow calculation, which I think really differentiated that product. That was all us. But the hardware itself was really designed collaboratively by that group. And then we had a firm in Cleveland that we literally just sat down with and said, okay, Here's what the industry would like. Now it's interesting if you were to go back and read that post, there's a lot of people that were very anti-iPhone at the time for using an iPhone for that because an iPhone was too delicate. People could never imagine taking your phone out, your iPhone out in the field and using it as a tool. It was sort of a foreign concept to people still. But obviously look at the screen breakage today. I mean I used to regularly break screens on my iPhone. I haven't broke the last two ones. I haven't had a broken screen on it because the screens are so much better. The glass is so much better. The cases are so much better. So, I mean, all this technology has evolved quite a bit since when we started. But it all started with just these small groups of people that I was surrounded around that were either super passionate about their field or engineers that we got to work with at Testo Or people we met at Department of Energy, even guys like Rob Falk who drove me crazy, but pushed me because it pushed me because I wanted to argue with them. I wanted to spar with them over things that were either things I didn't agree with or things that I thought could be done better or a different way and had more merit. So it was like I don't care who was around at that time, it was just a matter of it was helped you grow a lot because you're around just a bunch of people that have a lot of opinions. And a lot of passion. And this even goes back to working with Pat and Murphy at, at Nate and Warren Lupson and Dick Wurz. And there's a bunch of guys that I hold in very high regard because either they challenged me or supported me or helped me with problems or introduced me to the right people. You can't really, I don't know how you could have orchestrated this any better than it just worked its way out. It didn't happen by a man-made plan. We'll put it that way. Yeah.
0: I think you might remember one time, I think we LinkedIn used to offer this service where they would show your network. Oh, the mind map? Yeah, the spray diagram. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we both looked at ours and mine had like a bias towards home performance and yours had a bias towards HVAC, but we both spanned across so many different things. It's such a unique opportunity, really.
1: Yeah, and that's really, I mean, that's the two big verticals today of the company. So True Tech Tools, really. You talked about, some of the career steps and
0: things like, how about some of the where are they now aspect? Like some of the people you mentioned.
1: We know where you are, but some of these other people that influenced you. you know what I-, I mean, they're still in my circle. I still see a lot of them. HVC Excellence has been probably one of the better places for reconnecting with a lot of the people in my past. I'd say Building Science Summer Camp is where I'm meeting the people that I need to meet today at this time in my career because it's shifting a little bit more to the energy conservation side with Measure Quick and the, some of the stuff we're doing, so we're meeting people from National Institute of Standards and Testing, the Department of Energy, PNNL, Pacific Northwest National Laboratories, Southern California Edison Labs, people in the manufacturing segments from Mitsubishi, Train, Carrier, Linux. It's just Steve Rogers with Energy Conservatory, Bill Graber. I mean, there's just a lot of people. Like my circles have not shifted, but. I'm just a new ones now that I wasn't in even a few years ago, but I couldn't have gotten where I'm at without all the people that have supported me along the way. I mean, it's just been, and I don't think a lot of people sometimes realize the impact they have on your, either your self-esteem or your career. I don't know, just people, I don't think they always appreciate how much you appreciate them. You mentioned NIST. I remember that. You said, Hey, come on down with me to Gaithersburg, Maryland. I'm like what? That was fun. Yeah, that was when we we're really just starting to test measure quick and figure out how our calculations work. The big reason I wanted to go down to the NIST was I knew that they did a lot of equipment testing and they had a metrological grade equipment that we could test our calculations against their calculations and get an understanding about how field grade instrumentation could compare to that of laboratory instrumentation. So we literally just pulled the stuff out of the back of my trunk, Was rode us all the way down the back of my trunk. We pulled it out. We let it stabilize for just whatever it took in the duct work. And we're very, very deep into the uncertainty range of the instruments, meaning that you couldn't definitively tell if this was right or we were right. It was just we're in that area overlap where the instruments are in their uncertainty range. It's like it'd be plus or minus a degree or plus or minus a percent, whatever it is we're in that their plus or minus and our plus or minus are overlapping. So it was very gratifying to see. A uh, couple of things. Number one is how far along field grade instrumentation had come and that this stuff was even possible. And also because we used the same calculations that the manufacturers used to design equipment, Hyman Wexler psychometric calculations, things like that. Our calculations and this calculations were typically within one to 3% of each other. Airflows, we also got the test they estimated airflow calculation after I had made some modifications to that. And that was did extremely well and then i think the highlight of it for me was that measure quick picked up three faults in the system that they had actually had present in that system because they were doing the fault diagnostic yeah the fault diagnostic testing for heat pumps it was super gratifying on a lot of levels and advanced pain he's another one that's really influenced my career i think just because just being around somebody his caliber, but not only his caliber, but also his. His personality, really. His personality. Yeah, I'm trying to think there's a better word than personality because, I mean, he's just salt to the earth. Just he could be sitting in a back porch. It almost reminds me he could be like a farmer. Literally, he's got that like earthly wisdom type farmer mentality. And he's very unassuming of what you know or what you don't know. So he'll talk to you. And this is the same thing, actually, that I love about Steve Rogers is Steve will, and so will Vance, is when you ask them a question. They'll talk to you on their level. And then if you don't understand something, you can say, wait a minute, I don't get that. And they'll knock it down a level or two levels or five levels if you need to go down five levels. But they'll, there's no feeling like when you're talking to these guys that you're an idiot. They don't have to win the conversation. They want to convey information. Yeah. And I think that's like when I've called up Vance. And Vance, sometimes will answer my questions. Most of the time he points me to the research that I need so that I can study the research and get a little bit further into how I want to make something work. Those are the kind of people when you get around that have a lot of impact on you that, and again, they probably don't realize, you know, I spent a day with Vance Payne, but it's like a day I'll never forget. Describe that lab, just the physical dimension, what was going on there. Know the lab was pretty incredible from an instrumentation standpoint. There's a lot of things that go on in a lab like that. Like number one, it's a precisely controlled environment. So they're Precisely controlling the temperature and humidity in the indoor space and and the outdoor space are controlling the temperature and humidity. That was a thing that was interesting to me was the outdoor space where the condenser was. Yeah. And they had to reheat the room to get the room up to 95 degrees. I mean, you're literally, you could simulate AHRI conditions or any condition you wanted, probably down to negative 40 in the outdoor air chamber. So you had a huge chiller plant that was controlling the temperature and humidity of both spaces very precisely. And then they had a tremendous amount of redundancy and instrumentation so that they could, when you're comparing your airflow, you're comparing it to a sharp edge funnel, a flow funnel, a Wilson flow grid array. They had a thermocouple array. I can't remember how many things they had, but I want to say they had four or five different alpedo tubes in there. They had four or five different methods of measuring airflow. And then they're making sure that all those methods are Corrected for whatever inherent inaccuracy they might have. Like if they're impacted by air density, let's say, or retro pressure or temperature compensation or whatever, they're making all those corrections in real time on a lab view on a monitor. So they have a lot of redundancy so that when you're doing testing, you can be really quite confident that what you're comparing it to is you're getting a very good standard to measure up against. And you also have the same thing I had at Kaga Valley Career Center. And it's the same thing I sort of have here, at, even at our lab at True Tech, is I have an environment that doesn't dramatically change in conditions like a house does. Like You couldn't run an air conditioner in a house for three hours and not change dramatically the home, but I can run in here for three hours. And even as it warms up outside, the inside of the building doesn't rapidly change in temperature humidity. It's a very gradual change. So it allows me to see characteristics of system operation, very similar to what you'd see it like in NIST laboratory the only thing is I can't control it, but I can see it under a wide range of things over the course of a year. I think that's the key. Like if you're really going to understand this industry is you got to have a place you can work where you can see. And that's when we talked to Vance Payne at NIST on that study, or I don't know if you remember, I asked him, I said, these are just a bunch of curve fit equations. This really isn't something I could use to For MeasureQuick to repeat these things, he goes, no, these equations are for this one system and each system's got its own personality. So these equations wouldn't work for across the board for everybody. And that's what was different in MeasureQuick we were doing was we're taking an educated guess of that personality and then capturing it later in a benchmark. So we had the personality of how that system is installed so that when we're comparing its operation, we're comparing it to itself the day it was benchmarked normalized for the load condition. But that kind of stuff was what really helped me develop what we have today. It's a practical implementation. You couldn't do it with a personalization
0: because you couldn't spend the time to fingerprint an individual system. No one would do that. Yeah. So
1: we talked about past, like how you got to where you are. What's cooking right now
0: with MeasureQuick?
1: What's cooking right now is MeasureQuick is a Hewlett Packard of its day. It's the reverse Polish notation. Once you learn it, it's super easy and you can fly through it and get it, but it takes a little while to understand how it works. So what we figured out was, wow, and actually was Joe Medash actually beat me to death just about with this is too hard to use. It's just too hard to use. And I'm like, it's not too hard to use. You just got to train people better. And he's like, no, it's just too hard to use it. You don't know what to do next. You pick it up. You don't know where to start. I'm like, well, you pick up a graphing calculator. You don't know what to do either. You got to figure it out. You got to go take a class somewhere. And he was like, no, it's got to be so easy. You don't have to take a class. It just works like you think it would work. And we're building in, we have it actually in our beta right now is a guided, it's called guided workflows. And it literally goes through, it detects what probes you have connected. Make sure you have the right nine probes. Then it walks you through, tells you to shut the power off to the system, remove the panels for indoor inspection, walks you through probe placement, where to place the probes. And then walks you through like step by step in Measure Quick. What do you need to do next? And there's some steps that are optional, like if you want to take photos or not, you can skip it. Or if you want to do corrective actions, you can do it or skip it. But all the things that are critical and critical to have in a maybe a sequence are spelled out now in Measure Quick so that you get a very consistent result when it comes to the reporting and the benchmarking and the cloud storage of the system it makes a huge difference for the users that are probably out for probably two or three weeks now. And our feedback is interesting because everybody wholeheartedly agrees that if you're a new user of MeasureQuick, this is the most awesome thing that you've ever had. It's probably going to cut our onboarding time down by 90% for new users. But if you've used MeasureQuick for a year or two, it's people feel like that structure is taking away their flexibility to use it like they want to use it. But that's just because they haven't, figured out how to work within the confines of the structure because we do have that built in through some hotkeys and some other things where you can navigate and go to your gauges and we're doing the same thing in split screen but this guided workflow we're built out for cooling i think is gonna really the people that have started measure quick and maybe backed away from it because they thought it was too hard really need to take a look at it again because that hardness factor is completely eliminated I think, honestly, I could hand it to somebody with maybe six months of vocational school training so they know a suction line is, they know what a liquid line is, then the vocabulary, and they could actually deploy the probes and get a full-blown diagnostic and report from MeasureQuick. It does not take, because we're telling you what to do next and then telling you why to do it, because there's a lot of information buttons built in, a lot of photo buttons built in to show you like where to place things or how to do it. We finally got it to the point where it doesn't require a lot of training to actually have success. That's what we've been working on for the last probably six months now. It was sort of the same thing because we are looking at, like, how do we scale this thing at mass? We're getting quality installation with ACCA, and we're doing Energy Star verified installations. And we're to the point now where we need people to be able to use this in very short order and have success very early on because the sad part is a lot of time when people download measure quick it's like somebody'll say I have this problem I can't figure it out and they'll like download measure quick it'll you'll get it figured out with that and they don't realize that they haven't used measure quick for a year and now you're going to have this guy download it and he's got to go through all these steps that he has no idea or she has no idea how to complete and it's daunting the first time through and so they're trying to figure out a problem and learn software at the same time under a lot of pressure and it's just not a good combination so I think these guided workflows are going to just make a novice very successful, a novice in our software, not a novice in the industry necessarily, but a novice in our software very successful very quickly. What's the timing for that, you think? We're in beta still, probably in the next, I would say, two to three weeks. We'll, August. Uh, yep, early August. Okay. I don't want to leave the topic of measure quick without talking about
0: Qubits and what would happen here this spring. Oh, Yeah. Have you explained it? I know you've done that in blog posts. You've done it online in messages but give you a chance to clear the air.
1: Is this a rated G podcaster? It's rated nothing. and for nothing. In a lot of respects, it was a big show because it was probably one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make in our career. But what was happening is we had people reaching out to us and telling us there was issues with reports or issues with equipment and software didn't pick it up. We're like, well, go ahead and send us the reports. And these are utility clients. These are also some other clients that were supposed to be using Measure Quick a certain way, and we're getting screenshots back. And I'm like, okay, this isn't a Measure Quick report. This is a screenshot. This is only like part of the data. It's like when you look at a single, it's like me telling the temperature of the line is 102 without any context behind it. It doesn't mean I need to know all the driving conditions. It's like you start getting a little bit in a screenshot, it just doesn't help us any. But the other thing it did was, I couldn't tell where that screenshot was taken, what time it was taken, what time of year it was taken, who took it. It leaves out a lot of the information that we need to maintain the data integrity. And a lot of people don't understand, we built MeasureQuick for utilities and utility clients. I mean, it was really based around work that Joe Coonan and I did at Clear Result way back in the day. We just opened it up for technicians to use it. On a day to day basis, and we tried to keep as much of it free and available as possible. But we never know how people are going to try and use something. And then when it gets used in a way that compromises the primary way that we make revenue and the ways that we want to make revenue in the future, which is a lot about commissioning these systems properly and having high quality, high integrity data, we had to shut elements of it down because there is just no way of pleasing both sides because you got to look forward and go, like, let's say at some point in the future, a city or town says, you know, we're going to allow you to use Measure Quick as the commissioning vehicle for this installations you're going to do. If you use Measure Quick, we don't have to come out and do, let's say, a a visual inspection. We use the photos. We have a certain photos are going to be required and we want the report back. So you can just see very quickly somebody that they're saying, well, hey, can I use screenshots instead of the report? And somebody at a permitting office is going to say, yeah, sure, as long as you're using Quick, we don't care. Well, they don't realize that they just completely undermine the integrity of that data collection system because that data collection system makes sure that all those readings comes from probes. I don't know on a screenshot if they came from probes. I don't know if you're reasoning in a screenshot. I don't have a timestamp and a geolocation. I don't have any of that information. But the guy at the counter, he's not going to understand. He's not thinking through all the things that could potentially happen when they allow screenshots to be used instead of reporting. And we're trying to, obviously we do a lot of reporting with utilities. We're trying to do work with the DOE. We're trying to do work with Pacific Northwest National Laboratories. We're trying to do work with a lot of people who rely heavily on data integrity. And we have other programs that have run and we've seen this happen where a program's not managed right. Somebody says, well, we're going to allow manual input of this data, of electrical data, let's say. And I had 2,000 tests come out with the same data, of same electrical reading, because they had three technicians that were just inputting the same 1,200 watts for everything. So what people don't understand is when a problem like that happens, they say it's a failure of the data collection tool. It's a failure of our tool. I can't afford for my primary business to be compromised and viewed that way that we're constantly having failures of our collection of our data collection device because somebody's not using it in the way that we intended it to be used we didn't build screenshotting into measure quick it was something that the iphone manufacturer and the android manufacturers built into their devices and it was something that people were using and i still don't know why people use it they say they store it for on their own device, they have, let's say, records of superheater, subcooling, or whatever. But it undermined the data integrity of our product. That was a big thing. And for me, we were trying to figure out a way to message it. And we had put out a temporary message that got out there inadvertently because people didn't update their app. They saw just a holding message that was there. And then we had to update it. That's what really caused the shitstorm of things was we had an old version of a message that didn't come across very well and ticked a lot of people off. and At that point, you're trying to argue with angry people. It's a no-win situation. But it's a tough thing. People don't realize we've literally spent millions of dollars in building this piece of software out. And for the majority of people that use it, they use it for free. And the people that pay for it are subsidizing their free use. And if all of a sudden the people that pay for it aren't paying anymore because it doesn't meet the data integrity requirements that they want to have because of whatever reason, how they got undermined, then you can't do your thing. You can't do it. Yeah. You say you make revenue, but you also have expenses. Oh, we have people that pick up the phone here when you call. I don't know how many employees we have now, but we got a lot of staff here and we have to pay people salaries. That's just the reality of it. And it's just not an easy balance sometimes between, I have a passion to support the industry, but I just, sometimes you can't serve everybody in the way you want to serve them. Right,
0: You have to have fuel to support that passion, fuel in terms of covering your expenses. When you get out there and you travel and you attend conferences and trade shows and you work with manufacturers, that's not cheap, but it's very important. It's very relevant. It really builds the robustness of the product. I never thought of it that way. It's really, you don't have real data if you're taking a screenshot. No. You have a little bit of information, but you don't really have any data. There's no quality or integrity to it.
1: No, there isn't any. And that's the challenge people to understand is that that's our primary use case is that data integrity piece. We just can't compromise that. And it's, I've tried over and over to explain it to people, but once people hear what they want to hear, this falls on deaf ears. Yeah. It's in a different class and that's not to sound like high horse thing here, but
0: it's in a different class than a lot of other ways of capturing data from
1: probes. Yeah, I'd say so for sure. And it's definitely more of a, we're not concerned about a like just superheat and subcooling, we're concerned about how all the data interrelates. So it's looking at charge and airflow and driving conditions all simultaneously as you're making adjustments to the system and then continually recalculating the performance of the system. So it's not without its challenges, but we get a lot of people that are using it and they're only using like a tenth of what it'll do. And it's not been an easy thing, but at the end of the day, People are like, oh, we gladly pay you money for a subscription and we do it this way or do it that way. And it's like, well, that doesn't fit our, it conflicts our model that we have because we're not trying to be that. We're trying to be something different that can be used for standardization of the industry and to help solve some of the biggest problems that we have, which are charge, airflow and installation related. And we can't solve those problems if we don't use the tool correctly. So- I'd love to take their money. If I had a way of doing it and figuring out, I, I would. If this was that easy to solve with just coming up with a subscription model, we would have done it already. And people go, oh, it's a money grab. It's like, really? Well, how much money have I grabbed from you? Because I haven't seen a, a dime of it. You can't call it a money grab when there's no money that's being grabbed up. If anything, we lost users because of it. And I wouldn't very much call that a money grab. We didn't really transition people over. It's not like they're going, oh, I can't screenshot it now. I'm going to transition over and pay for services. Because we realize these are technicians that aren't going to buy those services. we got to get to the contractor. Our customers are not technicians. They're our end users. Our customers are contractors that actually use it at a company level or their utilities or their energy clients or their people want to do compliance testing. And those are people that actually pay us revenue. And that's where we got to protect our integrity as a company to make sure that we get a high quality data so that we don't undermine the value that we're providing those types of clients. So, if this was easy to figure out, I mean, I got a lot of smart people around me, we would have figured it out already. And it's not to say we're not going to figure out something in the future, but right now, this is the way we got to run it because of the point we're at and what we're trying to accomplish. We'll wrap up here,
0: but I want you to think about the future and give a little bit of advice to both contractors and manufacturers. What do you think, in general, more contractors
1: should do? And what do you think, in general, more manufacturers of the test equipment should do? In general, I think there's a couple of things people should do is we need to do more thorough and more systematic and more prescribed testing every time we do an installation or startup you need to implement standardization into your business. If you think we have a standardized way that we meet and greet the customer, we have a standardized way that we handle our billing, we have a standardized way that we handle our vacations and how vacations are done, but you haven't standardized how measurements are made, what measurements are made, and what your employees do when the measurements are out of range in your company. So they either don't make measurements and overlook problems, or they leave revenue on the table, or they make measurements, record them, and leave the company liable. And we've seen that before. where People have written down high CO numbers on a document because they don't know how to use the analyzer, but they know how to put the probe in the stack, but they don't know what the numbers mean. And it doesn't absolve you of liability, even if you don't have a combustion analyzer, but it makes you look more like an idiot when you supplied an analyzer and somebody's leaving data that puts the company in a bad light if you were to ever have somebody get hurt. But as far as like equipment manufacturers, need to do is the equipment manufacturers need to make equipment more conducive to good testing. Things like put a static pressure port in your piece of equipment so it can actually be tested in a way that's going to be consistent where everybody's making repeatable results. I think that's a critical thing. And I think the tool manufacturers, if you're making a tool today and you're not putting a radio on that tool, then you're already behind. I don't care what the tool is because if you put a radio on a tool, we will figure out at Quick a way to take advantage of that radio and what to do with it. So I think connected tools are really the wave of the future because one of the things we're going to be doing with that data is showing things were done, how they were done, and being able to provide feedback to an interested party that can now, we always call it like financial grade data, but can now figure out how they want to spend their money on resolving that issue or where they want to invest Look at all this money with the Inflation Reduction Act going out there. This could be a disaster if we don't commission these heat pumps properly. And there's billions of dollars of taxpayer money that's going to get completely wasted. And we're going to get a bad taste in everybody's mouth about heat pumps. And it's all because of bad measurements and bad practices and bad installations and things that we can all correct. But if manufacturers and contractors and technicians and everybody doesn't get behind this standardization of how we do things, then I think we're going to continue to flounder like we have. And I think there's a reverse way of thinking about it. Standardization is actually liberating. It is because you just have a process you got to follow. And if you follow that process, you're going to get a very consistent outcome. You'll get better work. You'll get it faster. And you'll be able to compare performance,
0: performance improvements, technician to technician, look for teaching opportunities, learning opportunities, we talked about contractors having standardized systems. What about say, the technician that's listening to this and what words of advice could you give them to get their service manager, their owner, their boss on board? What's it going to take?
1: Because you've seen this happen. The thing we've seen happen more than anything is technicians actually sometimes keep Measure Quick a, a secret because it's what's differentiating them from their peers. So like they're the ones now all of a sudden that can figure out these problems or they're finding a new sales, new equipment sales, and they're better able to communicate with their customer. And it's like they're tracking KPIs, key performance indicators on uh, Service Titan or on House pro or whatever. Like, hey, this guy's a rock star. Well, he doesn't want to give up his rock star look for everybody else to do what he does. So sometimes they don't tell the boss what they're using. We actually sent out a survey and got that as multiple times on a survey one time we were shocked. It was a survey that was take me to your leader because we wanted to try and get people to take it to their boss. But I think that's a really poor mentality to have because you end up having to service everybody else's crappy work. And yeah, mistakes. And it's like if you could avoid those as a company, it makes a company way more profitable. And if the company's more profitable, then they're probably apt to be able to share a little bit more of that wealth with the employees. Because there's more to go around, and we've seen this happen over and over again, where some of the highest-paying shops are some of the most successful shops that charge what they're worth, and they don't service what they sell. In other words, they don't have to go back and fix their mistakes after an installation. They service the equipment they sell, but they don't have to service it after the sale because it runs fine for three to five years before it actually needs somebody to touch it again. And so, if you can get past that warranty period without having to service the equipment, it's going to make a big difference to the bottom line of the company. And you're not out fixing your installer's mistakes after hours because he didn't have or she didn't have a vehicle to assure that that piece of equipment was installed properly. So it fixes a lot of the things that people don't like about this industry, the long hours, the poor quality installations, the callbacks, the warranty failures, and how frustrating it is to just share information or get diagnostic advice. A lot of that stuff's completely eliminated when you start using software like MeasureQuick and you just got to realize, yeah, it's a benefit to you, but how much more benefit is it to the whole of the company? And is it to you not having to deal with people not using it? Show some leadership. It's bold, but I know a lot of customers I met over the years are bold.
0: I won't name names, but there's one contractor who's posting on Facebook right now. He's trained. I know he's trained at your shop there. And he's gone to a new company or was acquired by a new company, and he says, I'm going around fixing mistakes. How do I explain this? I think you know who I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Real examples. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the challenge that we have with our industry is that without standardization, we're going to have a lot of those same kinds of problems over and over again. So it's just, we got to step back and go, okay, what we're doing is not working. And instead of doubling down on it, we just got to fix the issues and we can fix them with the technology we have today. You just got to implement it. One more thing before we go. I did mention trainings. You continue to have
0: those train-the-trainer events?
1: Oh, yeah. We have training again this fall. We'll run several of those between us and Chad Simpson and Ben Janard down at Simpson Salute. We pack those classes pretty much every time with 30 people and those up to 45. I think we've had 60 people in a class at once. So, yeah, we'll definitely continue to do some of the classes. But I think these guided workflows are going to eliminate a lot of that need. So. I think that's going to be a game changer for us going at the end of this season and beginning of next. I'll put
0: links to subscribe to the newsletter, links to the website, because I think that's important. That's where people are going to hear about these things, as well as social media, but just to be sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Jim, thank you. I heard waffles ruffling around the background there. Maybe you need to let them out.
1: Yeah, it's probably about that time. All right, cool. All right, thanks, Bill. Take care. We appreciate
0: you listening in to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. If you've not subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC into the search bar of any typical podcast app and clicking the subscribe button. Also, share the podcast, the episodes you like. This is episode 126, so there's a few of them out there covering a lot of different topics. It's kind of wherever my mind roams. Other trade-related resources and influencers include the HVACR School, HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Reardon, HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, HomeDiagnosis.tv, AC Service Tech, and MeasureQuick. I also host the Res Talk podcast, where you can learn more about things going on in the world of home energy ratings and peripheral topics. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. Full disclosure, I'm a co-owner of True Tech. If you're in the market for any tools or test instruments, take a look at TrueTechTools.com. You can use the offer code HVACBS for a nice discount. If you want to reach out to us, send an email to marketing at TrueTechTools.com with ideas for future podcasts or comments or feedback. Thanks again for listening in. We hope you have a wonderful day.